All right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this has got kind of an echo or something on it. All right, we'll just have to make do with this. We're about to start the, or we are starting this silent retreat. And this, being able to participate in a silent retreat is a grace. And the Lord is even more interested than you that you be here. And that he have this opportunity to reveal himself to you, to act in your heart. That's why this is a grace to be here. And now that we're starting, it's the moment to enter with two feet, not, you know, kind of just, you know, kind of stick my foot in you know, a little bit, see what it's kind of like. No, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I really want to do this. No, it's the moment to to jump in, to jump in to this to this silent retreat and begin two feet going all in to this retreat, which, like we said, is a grace. To help us understand this a little bit, I'm going to tell you the story of Jacques Verlande. Verlande. Uh, it's spelled, Jacques is pretty easy, J-A-C-Q-U-E-S, and his last name is Verlande, or Verland, is V-E-R-L-A-N-D-E. If you have a notebook, write it down. If you don't have a notebook, you better get one soon. <laughs> Jacques Verlande, he was born in Belgium. And he was born in a, in a Catholic family and grew up and received a, a good education in his family. Later, he became a biochemist and he was living in Paris. And he said that despite the, the Christian education that he re, had received when he was younger, he was in Paris, uh, he was in the world of scientists, doctors, and it was the end of the 60s, the beginning of the 70s. And he said that there was revolution. It was the sexual revolution and all kinds of other things were happening in Europe and in the United States too. And he said that despite his education, there was something attractive to him about these new ideologies or these new ways of thinking, the revolution that was taking place at that point. And he became especially interested in, uh, well, along with other people in his uh, environment, with Buddhism and Hinduism, the Oriental religion, which was coming more and more into the West, and the West wanted more of it. And I think he, he first saw a poster saying, an easy form of meditation, uh, find peace, happiness. And he went to these classes and started learning how to do yoga and started learning how to do transcendental med meditation. And he became a teacher began to teach how to do yoga, how to do transcendental meditation. 
And at one point, he got to know the guru, whose name is Maharishi Mahish Yogi. Get it? You want me to spell that? <laughs> he was the guru of the Beatles. The Beatles had a relationship with this guy. The Beatles, if you didn't know, they were dabbling in all kinds of different things. Uh, if you look at their, the album for, I think it's the Sgt. Pepper's band, right? There's all kinds of faces on the cover. And they said that these were all people that they somehow looked up to, or that somehow it inspired them. And on that cover is included Aleister Crowley, who's the founder of the Satanic Church. Just so that you see, you know, a little bit what they were dabbling in. And one of the people they also knew was this guru, Maharishi Mahish Yogi. And this guy, Jacques Verlinde, he knew, got to know this, this guru. He asked him, Yogi, if he could go with him, let me live with you. Let me learn from you. And he actually went with him to India. And he lived years in India. And he learned from this guru how to do, how to go even more, even deeper into what is transcendental meditation. And he experienced some of the, the intense uh, states of, of meditation that they, that they, you can experience in this, in Buddhism. One of them is called Shamadi. Another one, Satori. One that is, sounds familiar to us, Nirvana. He experienced all these different kinds of meditation. And he said that there was something really attractive about this meditation that he was doing, about Buddhism in general. When you entered into these states of meditation, you escaped from suffering, at least for a little bit. You escaped from suffering. It went away, or you weren't conscious of it, at least. But he said, and he explained, at first, you know, you would sit and have people who do this kind of prayer sit on the ground with their legs crossed and they put their hands on their laps. And then they begin to, what you do after that is you begin to slow your breathing. First, you don't move your body at all, but you're still breathing. So you slow your breathing until you almost don't notice that you're breathing. But after that, you're still thinking. So what you begin to do after that is you start doing mantras that stop your, your mind from going from one thing to the other until you arrive at a state where you don't think or you're mm, zoned out. And in, those, in some of those experiences, he experienced, you know, how you, mm, you escape in a certain sense from suffering. But he said there was something that always, something that always scared him about these experiences. And he said that when you were doing this kind of meditation, you had to, little by little, deny 
one thing after another. You had to de deny desires, deny hate, deny, and you also had to, de to deny, in the end, love. You had to deny love. Everything. Deny everything. To be able to submerse yourself in nature, to be able to dissolve yourself in the one divine being, which is basically everything is divine. And he said it scared him, the fact that you had to deny love. There was something in him that said that this is not right. There's something wrong about this. But he kept living in India with this guru. And there came a moment where he was doing different exercises with his guru and with other people uh, in the mountains there in India. And the exercises they were doing were so intense that some of them got sick. And they had to call in a doctor. And they called in the doctor and the doctor came in. He was actually a doctor who was from Europe, but he was living in India. And he came into the cells where they were living and Jacques uh, Berlanda, he was the secretary of the guru. So you had to go through by him first to get to the guru. And the doctor came in and he saw Jacques and he saw that he was European. And he asked him a question. He said, who is Jesus Christ for you now? And Jacques Verlande, who had been raised in a Christian family, he said he had an experience at that moment. And he felt that Jesus Christ was at his side and was saying to him, what are you doing here? How long are you going to be uh, wasting your time here? And the experience was so strong that he, soon after, he packed up his things, the few things that he had, and he returned to Europe. And he said, I want to be a Jesus follower now. I know I have to follow Jesus. After this experience, I have to follow Jesus. So he came back to, to Paris. And one way or another, he got to know a group of Jesus followers who would get together and they would read the scriptures and they would interpret the scriptures and they would also do healings. Uh, and he, precisely because of his experience in the Eastern religion and his capacity to meditate like they did, he had a special capacity to contact with the spirits that they invoked to do these healings. Without realizing it, he was in a sect that was mix mixing Christianity with uh, occult practices. And he lived for a, he was with this group for a period of time. And lots of people came to him. And he had powers. He had powers. And he would heal people. He would invoke these spirits. Uh, people who had burns or different kinds of problems. And he would invoke the spirits or put himself in contact with them, channel the energies, and he would heal people. 
Buddy would say the problem was after a couple of weeks, they always had to come back. The, the problem seemed to move to somewhere else. And he said, you know, looking back, if your doctor, every time he heals you, you have to come back in two weeks. Maybe there's something wrong with your doctor. <laughs> but he was, he was living with this group and he was doing these healings. And at the same time, he was praying the rosary. He started praying the rosary every day. He was even going to Mass. But he didn't, mm, didn't talk with any priests. He didn't, still didn't want to have anything to do with the, with the authority in the church or with the ministers of the church. He didn't confess. But he was, he was praying the rosary and he was going to Mass mm, every day. And one day he went to a Mass and he was in the mass, and when the priest raised up the host after the consecration, he heard his, the spirits with which he communicated blaspheming the Eucharist. And it shocked him. It shocked him and it scared him. And he went into the sacristy after the mass, and he told the priest what had happened. And he asked him, what's going on? What is this? And the priest told him, it doesn't surprise me that, you, that this has happened to you. Because I'm the exorcist of the diocese. And I always pray for the liberation of people who are under the influence of the devil and other evil, and evil spirits. And after that, Jacques realized that I can't, I'm not messing around with these spirits, with these occult practices anymore. And he began to receive prayers of liberation, prayers of exorcism from this priest. And he began slowly to be freed from his connection with these spirits. He began to lose his powers. <laughs> he lost his powers. But he didn't care because he had Jesus Christ. He had, and Jesus Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God for us and our salvation. In the letter of, the first letter to the Corinthians, St. Paul says, Verse 22 to 25. For the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. The Buddhists seek to escape from suffering. 
And that's also, that could be a stumbling block for them to follow Jesus. But Jesus, he doesn't take away all suffering from our lives, but he does transfigure it. He transforms our suffering. And Jacques Berlande, he finally, he obviously came back to the Catholic Church. And he actually became a monk. He's actually a, a Catholic monk. And he gives his testimony. And he explains, you can see really clearly the difference between Buddhism and Christianity by looking at Buddha and Jesus Christ and how they died. How they died. Buddha, how did Buddha die? Buddha called his disciples to him. He gave his last teachings to his disciples. Then he got into the, in, what's it called? The mantis position or something? No, it's something else. But anyways, he got into the position that they pray in. He went into transcendental meditation with a smile on his face. In nirvana, he died. Just like that. He died. And Jesus, how did Jesus die? And what a difference. Jesus, instead of dying, closed in on himself. What's the word? Going into himself, uh, dissolving himself in nature. How did Jesus Christ die? He died like this, with his arms wide open on the cross, telling the Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, which is one of the, the greatest examples of prayer, precisely what our prayer should be. Into Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. That prayer that Jesus says at the end of his life, that is an example for Ed, the prayer of every Christian during our life and at the very end of our life. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. He doesn't just turn in on himself, dissolve. No, he gives himself. He surrenders himself to another. It's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to, to discover that other, to surrender ourselves to that other. And while we're still alive, let him enter into our life. Let him enter into our heart. Let him speak to us. Let him guide us. Let him change our heart with his presence. And that's what this silent retreat is, is about. We're going to have different meditations, mm, different, mm, we'll be praying the rosary together too, but uh, what is this silent retreat about? It's about being with him. It's about surrendering yourself to him. It's about letting him enter into your heart and not letting him, trusting totally in him. Letting him work and do what he wills in your heart, in your life. Because what he wills and what he wants to do in your life is always uh, 
inspired by his love. He is love. What our God is not uh, the pantheistic God of Buddhism. Everything is God. Everything is the one consciousness. No, our God is the eternal God who's transcendent from all of this nature, from all of creation, and who is three persons who live in a constant, eternal gift of self to the other and the joy of communion between them. And we're called to participate in that, which doesn't enter very easily in this little mind of ours. Doesn't enter very easily, but that's, what, is that, what does that mean? What is it to really experience that? That's heaven. And in some little way, we can already experience it here. That's what we're called to, to experience. And that's what this side of retreat is about. And in the Catholic Church, do we have teaching about prayer? Is there spiritual doctrine? Do we have spiritual teachers? I can't hear anybody. No. Yes, All right, you can talk now. Now you can't talk anymore, all right? <laughs> we do. We have so many, so many saints, so many spiritual teachers, so many examples to guide us. There's, we're sitting on a treasure chest, all right? Full of gold and every kind of treasure. And so many times we're sitting there and we're bored. We don't know what we're doing with our lives. When we got to open up the treasure chest, let ourselves be guided by the saints. Begin to transform our life, to live a life which is more recollected, a life of deeper prayer, a life that is more surrendered to our Lord. And just a few points later, Father Matthew is going to explain more things in the talk. Uh, St. John of Avila. What are a few things that he says about prayer? Five points. Five of the basic points he gives about prayer. He says, when you go to prayer, don't burn yourself out. It's not about thinking about nothing like the Buddhists. No, it's not about that. But don't be, don't go to prayer like, oh, you know, you're trying to understand the Trinity, you know, right now. I'm going to understand it all. No, and you burn yourself out. No, it's not about that. And he says, and to be calm before the Lord. Be calm before the Lord. We're, some of you, lots of you have been working all this week. You know, you've got kids, all kinds of things going on. Maybe you're kind of tired. We've got jet lag, you know. <laughs> so be calm before the Lord, too. Maybe what you need to do is be before the Lord and also know how to rest in Him. But rest in Him. Rest in His presence, not just in the nothing. And then St. John of Avila, he says, enter into the presence of the Lord. And he says, make an act of reverence. Make an act of reverence before the greatness of His majesty, before the very greatness of God. St. Ignatius of Loyola in the spiritual exercises, he says the principle and uh, foundation, the 
the rule and foundation of our lives is to know, love, reverence, and serve God. He actually uses the word reverence. And that's something that we need to recuperate. That's something that's precisely in our day and age. Reverence for God is something that's been in large part forgotten. Recognizing what's sacred is also something which is, in large part is have been forgotten. That's something that we need to recuperate. And St. John of Abba says that, reverence God. And then he says, as you begin your prayer, think about the passion. Begin with that. Even though maybe you go on to think about something else, think about what our Lord has done for you in the passion. Talk to Our Lady. Ask her for your help. And that's another thing that we can all do at the beginning of this uh, silent retreat. Ask Our Lady to accompany, accompany us in a special way. She's the spouse of the Holy Spirit. May she intercede for us that the Holy Spirit act in, act in our hearts and our minds. We're actually celebrating the Mass, uh, the votive Mass of the Holy Spirit, asking for Him to descend upon this retreat and to guide our thoughts, our words, our prayer, everything. May our Blessed Mother help us. May this truly be a time of grace. And may we realize that above all, He's the protagonist of this retreat. It's not us. He's the protagonist. He's the one who wants to act here. And we have to let Him. We have to let Him. We pray to our Blessed Mother. May she intercede for us. We pray to our Lord that He have, he have mercy on us. He reveal His, his presence, His grace. Amen.